Welcome to Daily Kosa's The Brief, our weekly show about politics. Here, we'll discuss the issues that are driving the news as we fight for a more progressive America. I am Marcos Molitsis, the founder of Daily Kos and your co-host, along with senior political writer Carrie Elleveld. If you want to join the conversation, we record the podcast live on YouTube and Facebook every Tuesday at 1.30 Pacific, 4.30 Eastern. Enjoy the show. Hello, everybody. Welcome to this week's edition of Daily Kos The Brief. I'm Marcos Molitsis. I'm here with Carrie Elleveld. Thank you so much for joining us. We're going to be talking about the midterm elections. We are six weeks out, Carrie. Six weeks, it's happening. It's real. It's, it's happening. It's really going to happen. I'm ready. I'm ready. Are you ready? I'm ready. I'm, I'm, I'm ready. So as we've been talking about the last couple of uh, weeks, this is an atypical midterm election. In a typical midterm election, you have what is a essentially a referendum on the president and his party. And it's never great for the president because the president can't deliver. You make lots of promises running for election. And then you get elected and then you hit the reality of our political process, which really is just designed to grind everything to a halt. So typically speaking, we Democrats would be in a bad place. And Joe Biden's approval rating, as is typical in a midterm, is a bit in the gutter. It's improving, but it's in the high 30s, low 40s. Not really a great place to uh, to have a national election on your party. But I actually, Gary, this- I actually think can can I just say? I think that he's solidly at like 42, 43 percent right now. And among registered voters and likely voters, 538 has him at like four, almost 44 percent. In know. today's really bifurcated political climate, I mean, that might be almost like the best any president for a while is going to be yeah. able to manage. I don't think any I think it's going to be a long time before anyone can actually get to 50. So if he you know, if if look He's almost a non-issue at that point if he gets to 45. I mean, you know, maybe that's like over. But, you know, if he's he's a, not to mention the fact that basically what we've seen from the polling is that people have really it's his, his approval rating has really decoupled from the congressional. Um, yeah. And, and we, we, can, we can get to that. But because even in a typical midterm election, um, it's not just the, the approval rating that matters, right? Because the opposition is going to remember all those party uh, promises, campaign promises, and they're going to hold the president accountable for those promises. So they're going to be angry because, you know, obviously president ran on everything that they're opposed to while the party empowered their supporters are either, you know, apathetic because, yeah, we won. We don't have to pay attention to politics for four years or the ones that are paying attention are frustrated because of all the promises, right? And then they stay home. This is what happened in 2010. Barack Obama's approval ratings weren't that bad. It's just that liberals stayed home. Conservatives obviously were riled up, you know, because um, there was a black president. And that was that was the worst thing that they could possibly imagine in their world. So that is a typical midterm election. And we don't have a typical midterm election, as we sort of really discussed the last few episodes uh, Donald Trump is on stage and he seems to have center stage, Carrie. So it's not really a referendum on Joe Biden. It's again, it's a choice between Joe Biden vision of America or Donald Trump's vision of America. And Donald Trump may be the single biggest motivator in American politics for liberal voters, except maybe for abortion, which now has taken uh, <laughs> top of the mind uh, sort of status amongst Democratic voters to the point where they're almost ignoring issues like inflation and gas prices and, and, and so on. So it's a really 
different and weird and atypical midterm election. And Carrie, you've been following the polls closely. You've been writing about this. Are you seeing anything that suggests that this is reverting back to a typical midterm cycle? Not not yet. Um, not yet. I mean, so, you know, I, look, we, we talked about the about Biden's approval ratings. They're typically getting better rather than worse. Um, the generic ballot depends on and the generic course, ballot well, is. Yeah. Can you explain well, the generic ballot is if well, the generic <laughs> you always give, you give better and more technical explanations, but basically, a poll asks you if if the if the uh, vote were held right now, the election were held right now, would you vote for a Democratic candidate or a Republican candidate without attaching an actual name to that candidate? Um, and so the you know the generic ballot right now favors Democrats by anywhere from about two to you know five six points. Um, I can't remember exactly what, uh, what 538, the 538 aggregate has it at. Uh, but I do know that civics, which, um, we are going to make that public, the civics congressional generic ballot will be live, uh, next, uh, public next week. Um, but right now it's got Democrats up by four, uh, four points. So, and that's, you know, Civics is like civics doesn't move a whole lot. Um, and you can see and 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 it, it doesn't tend to overestimate or bounce very much the way some of the other polls do. So when it says Democrats are up by four points over the course of, you know, um, you know, it's steadily growing over the course of like three or four weeks. That's that's a good estimation that things are moving in Democrats direction. Um, yeah. Without, and Carrie, let me know, add a little bounciness. context there. The generic ballot isn't a you know, obviously you can't go and you can't pull 435 districts. It's just not feasible. It would be too expensive. And, and nobody's ever attempted such a such a feat. What the generic ballot does, it sort of gets a sense where the American baseline is. And it's important to note that the Congress is not a it's not 50 50 by saying Democrats are up for it's not saying, OK, the Democrats are going to win the House. Because of gerrymandering, Republicans have gerrymandered. Republicans clawed a little bit of that back this uh, redistricting cycle, but Republicans still have about a three to five point advantage in a generic ballot. So if we're at four, we're at basically at around a 50-50 chance of winning the House. It's not a Democratic chamber in any sense of the word. Again, uh, partisan gerrymandering is a, is a, it's, it's a problem, but it does mean that we are in the game. Democrats are in the game and have a real chance of winning. And if we could get that to five or plus six, and the trends seem to be going that way, right, Carrie? If, yeah, if it's the, trending that direction, it's it might even be higher. It's possible. It's possible. What what we are definitely in the midst of is a very competitive election. I keep saying that. I hear you know. I hear other people say that. I think it's a good reminder that you know it's not. It, what we're looking at right now is not. Republicans take the House by, you know, 40 seats or something like that, or Democrats, you know, increase their margins by, you know, 10 seats or something like 10 or 15 seats. I don't think that's true either. I think we're talking about a handful of seats here that end up deciding one way or the other. So um, what I will say is, you know, that when you start looking at the groups and the way the the way the uh, the electorate has sort of shifted since the Dobbs decision, the decision that that overturned Roe v. Wade and and made this and and sort of returned this issue to the states. So now we have this patchwork of states where red states have 
you know, mostly banned abortions and, and blue states are uh, mostly enhancing protections for abortion rights, right? Um, generally speaking. And, you know, that has animated, that has shifted things considerably. So, for instance, the most recent Wall Street Journal poll showed that among suburban, white suburban women, not just suburban women, but white suburban women, they now prefer a con- congressional candidate uh, 52 to 40 percent. OK, so that's a they that, prefer a Democrat. Points. So, yeah. D- did I say that? Sorry. A Democratic congressional candidate. Sorry. Yeah, yeah my bad. Over a Republican one by 12 points, 52 to 40 percent. That's a notoriously sort of swing votey group, right? They can they can sort of be go back and forth one way or the other. You're going to say something. Yeah. Yeah. No, I was going to sort of reinforce that point. Say it is probably the only swing demographic and Democrats lost Virginia last year because that group actually swung back to the Republicans. They are historically a Republican constituency. Donald Trump has helped sort of little by little pushing them our way. They swung back last year. We lost Virginia. Democrats almost lost New Jersey, despite it being a pretty solidly Democratic state. And it was because of those white suburban college educated voters. And so a 12 point lead carry is, is seismic. I don't yeah. use contextually because this is a Republican constituency. And then to say they are a double digit Democratic edge. And again, this is one poll. And yeah. it's a swingy group. So I, it's a swingy group. But but that poll is not, uh, you know, that poll is I, I cite it because it's relatively consistent with other polling that we're seeing. Right. OK. Um, another th- another thing is uh, independence. Right. And this is also from the Wall Street Journal poll. And <clears throat> I thought this was particularly interesting. In March, Republicans led among independents by 12 percentage points. And now Democrats lead among independents by three percentage points, 38% to 35%. So that's a swing of 15 points among independents towards Democrats. That's I mean, massive. that is, that's massive. massive. Yeah. I mean, there's yeah. no way to un- understate it. And and people don't quite understand what an independent is. They think, oh, an independent is somebody that's between a Democrat and a Republican. And no, that's that's not that thing does not exist. In fact, um, research shows that true swing in the middle voters are about three to five percent. So it's a tiny number and they're less likely to vote. Most people, if they have opinions, they know which party represents their values. It's, it's not back or forth. So what an independent really is, is Bernie Sanders supporters who say that they're not Democrats. It's Tea Party supporters who say they're not Republicans. But these people generally vote with parties. And and so there is a group in there. And who knows? It's definitely not the Tea Party crowd. And it's definitely not Bernie Sanders supporters. But amongst that group of sort of politically amorphous or 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 um there are people, and, and I think it's really heavily geared towards younger voters. Uh, that's the other like major independent. Well, we'll go. We'll go into those in a second. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so I suspect that that shift is in large part driven by younger voters realizing what is actually at stake. And again, it's a question about values. And this election really is bringing values to the forefront in a way that is inescapable. And you can't. It's. It's. You can't. Uh, make up a Honduran caravan to mask it this time. You can't you can't claim Democrats are just crying wolf about abortion once again. I mean, this is now a real choice and people's rights are on the on the line. And so right. that's that's why it's really moving numbers in that kind of dramatic, dramatic, um, those dramatic numbers. 
Right. So and and then, you know, you were ta- we were talking about uh, suburban swing voters and how they're sort of a swingy group. But then young voters are a, a voting block that's really interesting, too, because they oftentimes don't vote in midterms. I mean, historically, that's typically been true. They they voted in historic numbers actually in 2018. And they also voted in historic numbers in 2020. Without young voters, Joe Biden is not president of the United States right now. So it's yeah. really interesting. This group that is is considered less likely to turn out. Um, you know, I was listening to the Down Ballot, our, our sister podcast, and they interviewed um, you know Tom Bonier of Target Smart, which uh, has done this, has gone back and looked at um, increase in, in registration and analyzed the data about increase in registration among women, new new voters um, registering to vote. Um, but he he also analyzed the vote in Kansas on the constitutional amendment that would have stripped abortion rights of from Kansans, and it's fascinating. There were more voters under thirty who voted in that referendum than than those who voted in the twenty eighteen general election. So this is comparing a you know, like a kind of a special, you know, a special election. Was it technically considered a special election? It, it's a, yeah, it, it's a, it's a, I mean, it was a primary. So they snuck in, yeah, it was a primary. they snuck in this ballot initiative in the primary because the Democrats, they had the governor. So there was no contested primary for governor. The incumbent's already a governor and Democrats are less likely to turn out in the middle of the summer because, you know, it's already hard to get our people to turn out in the middle of the summer, even harder. And so Republicans, they actually put their finger on the scale thinking it would help them right. to have the, the, the election at this time. Right. So, so the idea that, that more voters under 30 turned out for that primary than did vote in the 2018 general election in Kansas, which was already a pretty good year for young voters, um, is – you know, is really something. And uh, and of course, we know now that that ballot measure failed by uh, by 18 points. I mean, it was just solidly yeah. it was just ruined. It was crushed, of course. And going in, everybody was like kind of thought it would probably go the other way. Um, so, you know, we've got an example already of young voters under 30 getting really animated by this question specifically of abortion rights. I just was looking at, I just was shared um, rural organizing who, which is uh, run by Matt Hildreth, the executive director. He's a friend of the pod. He's come on a couple times to talk to us. And he gave me some polling that they had done among rural voters and let me just say that among the, the younger voters under 45 in, in rural voters in like 10 different states that they um, that they polled, Democratic candidates increased their support among those voters by 17 points if they were adamantly pro-choice, if they were like outwardly pro-choice. So they so you get a so this these this the basic you know, download from this polling wasn't just about young voters. It was about rural voters overall. And the fact that um, that Democratic candidates got get a real boost, actually, from being identified as pro-choice and from getting an endorsement from from a group like Planned Parenthood. Um, Democratic candidates got a bigger boost out of an endorsement from Planned Parenthood a bigger boost in support than they did out of an endorsement from like the Farm Bureau or AFL-CIO. So, so in this Whoa. election, Planned Parenthood is 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 a better endorsement 
um, for a Democratic candidate in a rural area than than the Farm Bureau or you know a labor organization, major labor organization. But in that in that particular um, poll, younger voters were really animated by the issue, um, and that you know, and and a Democratic candidate got a bump of seventeen points. Um, once they were identified as a pro-choice candidate, the same was true among. Right, Kansas- Angus Carey. Yeah. I, th- I mean that that blows my mind, and it shouldn't because Kansas again is a perfect example. Kansas is an agricultural state. It does not have a major urban center. It, the most it has are the suburbs of Kansas City, and Kansas City, of course, is actually in Missouri, not in Kansas. Mm-hmm. So th- it is that is the that is a prototypical rural state and the abortion um, anti-abortion amendment went down by 18 points. So it shouldn't be surprising. And yet it's still surprising because it runs so counter to our expectations of rural voters. And so it it really, if obviously Democrats, um, they suffer in rural areas. And if this has that potential to chip away, we're not going to win those rural areas. But it, if we're if Republicans are getting 65 percent of the vote instead of 80 percent of the vote, that right there may be enough to tip close races and actually bring races that we didn't even expect into yeah. into play. And a lot of these House districts that were drawn specifically for Republicans in rural areas, uh, but chip in into cities and suburbs, you know, that's how you dilute yeah suddenly those seats may may be in place. So there's a lot of of, um, unknowns right now. The the entire calculus has been thrown away and and we don't know. And the other thing I want to, before you go on, sorry. Yeah, no, um, that's okay. I just want to say, people say on the polls, like we've already talked in previous episodes that we're not only relying on polls, we're relying on special election victories where Democrats have dramatically outperformed Joe Biden by about six points. But the polling is has been suspect in recent years because there's a nihilist Trump vote that doesn't answer polls and they're very hard to reach and to find and to account for. So that's fair. Right now, we have all these 25 year olds, according to Tom Bonnier's stats, you know, about half of the registrations are 25 and under. Who's polling them? How are right. you going to they're not answering the phone and talking to a pollster. I mean, they're just as unreachable as that nihilistic Trump voter. So we have a situation where it may, they may cancel out. There may be more of these under 25. Who knows? And maybe maybe they don't materialize. I mean, that's also a possibility that all these people register to vote and they don't actually vote. I don't think that would go against that would definitely go against historical trends, right. though. You know, Absolutely. People who but, register in a cycle typically vote. But so yeah. it's just saying we are in uncharted territory and you can't you can't look to history, whether it's poll results or um, rural voters voting Republican. You can't just assume right. these things anymore because the abortion question and even Donald Trump have really scrambled things. Yeah. Yeah, totally. You know, I mean, the, the other interesting part of this rural voter um, poll. And if you want to look, if you want to see more of it, I wrote it up on dailycoast.com so you can check it out. But um, it also, voters who reported not being excited to vote, once they found out a Democratic candidate was uh, pro-choice, they were more, they grew, their support grew for that candidate by 23 points. It doubled. It doubled from 20% to 43%. This is rural voters again. Let's just remember rural voters. Rural voters who are less likely, who reported 
being less likely to, you know, less excited to vote. That's what it wasn't less likely. It was less excited to vote. And then once they found out that a Democratic candidate was pro-choice, their 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 support for that candidate rose by 23 points from 20 percent to 43 percent. So these are these are groups of I mean, these I just think. You know, it's so hard for any pollster right now to get a likely voter pool right, right? Because that's all about using a turnout model from from elections past to figure out who's most likely to turn out. Well, we, we have an issue that is just defying conventional wisdom entirely. And uh, and it is is obviously animating younger voters who who often have been considered less likely to turn out, but even voters who report not being excited to vote, people get that this is really important, that th- this isn't just run of the mill, oh, they're chipping away at my rights. This is like second class citizenship for like 50% of the people, total loss of bodily aut- autonomy. I mean, this is like, this is this is a, a this is as big a bombshell, I think, if I, as I have ever seen in any election since I've been covering elections for the past like 15 years. Yeah. And you can, you can see that, that almost every single democratic ad right now is abortion, abortion, abortion. And really there's, there's no reason to talk about anything else because that is the sort of defining issue. And Republicans are, they're flailing Carrie because they, they, they started the, the year talking about gas prices and, if they're not under $3 a gallon right now, they will be soon. The The price of, uh, of Brent crude and natural gas continue to fall in, uh, in futures markets and in, the, in, in just the daily gas prices. So we're going to see probably another 10, 20% drop in the next several weeks. And so that'll get it definitely into the high twos. And at that point, it sort of loses a, a lot of the salience. $5 gas was, was a shock to the system, Two seventy five. You know that that seems more 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 I think conventional. Nobody's getting riled up about that. Inflation is is an issue, but it's hard to talk about inflation. And definitely Republicans aren't talking about how they're going t- to fix inflation. Like they're, so, their <laughs> campaigns are a mess. <laughs> do we want to do we want to look yes. at McCarthy's plan? Yes, yes, we do. Yes, we do. Okay, so let's let's just uh, before I let you go off on this, let me let let me just give it. <laughs> let me just frame it for a second, right? Uh, we've talked about this before. Mitch McConnell, his grand plan, the you know Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell, his grand plan um, for the election was not to tell voters. Definitely, do not tell voters what you're going to do, right? Um, and he he said that he said that exactly in questions he was asked. We'll tell you what we're going to do with our majority once we retake control of Congress, right? Well, then yeah. Rick Scott, the um, the guy who's running the Senate campaigns, who's also you know a senator from Florida, he decides he's going to come out with his own eleven point plan, and it includes raising taxes on 100 million working Americans, working Americans, not like the rich, right? We're talking about like just kind of average Joes and, and poor people raising taxes on them and probably in, in sunsetting, basically ending Social Security and Medicare. It was gold. Okay? It was this gold. Is, it was gold, right? And He even, and, he even said oh, more Americans need skin in the game. That's yes, why I'm raising taxes on them. Skin in the game, right? Skin yeah, in the game. The, yeah, not enough skin in the game. <laughs> so, um, you know, after he dropped this out of his alien spaceship and onto Mitch McConnell's head. So Mitch McConnell's trying to deny this. We're not going to do that. Our majority's not going to do this. 
then, you know, then abortion comes along. They're all over the place. We're not going to, you know, we're not going to do a national abortion ban. We're returning it back to the states, you know. Oh, maybe we would consider that. Oh, Lindsey Graham comes out, <laughs> drops his 15-week national abortion ban, introduces that, and everybody, like all the Republicans in the Senate and, and House alike, go crazy. So, I mean, they have no agenda except the agenda that that the leaders probably didn't want out there, right? And McCarthy, as, as uh, House Minority Leader now, uh, Republican House Minority Leader, needs to come and do some major cleanup. So he's going to offer, he's going to jam pack. He's going to, six weeks before, seven weeks before the election, he's going to release something that was supposed to be done, sort of a recreation of Newt Gingrich's in the 90s um, contract with America, which I don't even remember exactly, but I know it included a lot of legislative proposals, right? It was given a, and maybe given too much credit for having turning that midterm around for Republicans and, and them like taking a bunch of seats and retaking control of the House. Um, but anyway, so the, it was a policy document, though. It was a policy document. And and, and so McCarthy's going to recreate that essentially and come up with his commitment to for america commitment to america commitment to america and he's going to lay out the policy agenda of republicans and what does it look like marcos Gary, <laughs> i feel like i'm um david letterman reading the top 10 list you know because it i i was like this can't this is not real this is somebody making fun of mccarthy's plan because there's there's no plan right so it's got three sections the first section is America is exceptional. The second is we will not allow it. And the third is starting day one. Okay. And starting day one is, is one sentence for the record. So America is exceptional. So this is, this is the, the, the Republican plan to win re-election. So first sentence, as Americans, we cherish our rights to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Whoa. I mean, there's some originalism right there. Oh, my God. (laughs) Then he salutes those who paid the ultimate sacrifice in defense of our freedoms. I mean, this is really controversial stuff here. I mean, this is really meaty policy. I I can't wait to see how that turns into 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 legislation. Not to mention if he's going to talk about life, liberty and the pursuit of happiness, unless it's in your doctor's office and unless it's in your bedroom. Right. So let's let's not (laughs) pretend that they are into anything having to do with liberty and happiness at this point. We celebrate the rich heritage of the American story and the vibrancy of the American dream. At this point, you're starting to realize maybe this is not a policy document. (laughs) Maybe this is like really bad, cheesy American slogans for campaign ads. So then he embraces the responsibility to protect and uphold all that has made the nation the world's shining beacon of hope. I mean, this this is good stuff, right? And then he talks about how... Unfortunately, over the past two years, Democrats in Washington had led America off track and uh, blah, blah, blah. So next session, we will not allow it. So the commitment to America represents a new direction and better approach that will get our nation back on track. Are those in caps? <laughs> no, but but I, I, I feel it. I feel the passion. Yeah, I mean, it. what's your plan? Our plan is a new direction, which will be better, and it will work. I mean, that, that's literally it, what they're saying. There's no policy in here. Okay, so right. what are they going to do about and, and then which they think is their number one issue? Then it, um, Americans are workers and builders, and they commit 
to removing obstacles to their success. Hardworking taxpayers should be valued, not punished. Now, somebody might want to tell uh, Rick Scott about, you know, getting some skin in the game and raising taxes. But yeah, uh, but I mean, it goes on like this. There's there's no policy, no policy. And then so starting day one, you're like, oh, OK, finally, some policy day one. What are they going to do on day one? So starting day one, we will work to deliver an economy that's strong, a nation that's safe, a future that's built on freedom, and a government that's accountable. That's it. That's it. That's crazy. That's their, pl- their quote, plan. Yeah. And I mean, a government that's there's accountable, just, the same people that acquitted Donald Trump twice, you know, freedom. There's not, when legislative, there's not legislative proposals. No. No, a nation that's that's safe and future that's built on freedom. I mean, they're they're literally going after people's freedom to choose. I mean, this is this is this is a joke. And yeah. I actually I really thought it was parody. First time I read, it, I was like, no, nah, this can't be it. And then so I went to uh, I went to Kevin McCarthy's Twitter to to pull it because I knew he'd link to it there. And I was like, oh my god, this thing's real. Like, <laughs> you think it's a joke? So their plan is America's great, and we will do better. That's yeah. that's the plan. And they're so going to work. They've got to re- nothing. And they're going to work to reduce inflation. That's not even. Is it in that plan? <laughs> did they did they mention reducing inflation? I think they did. Uh, I think they mentioned inflation in there. Um, I don't see inflation in here. I think Come they on. forgot. Maybe maybe on the website on their spiffy website. Oh 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 oh! Here we go. So Democrats have created crisis after crisis from crippling inflation and rampant crime to failing schools, border chaos and disrespect for a nation across the globe. That's it. That's the only reference. They don't say how they're going to fix inflation. It's not in their day one commitment. Because remember, their day one, their their actual agenda, according to this, is to deliver an economy that's strong, a nation that's safe, a future that's built on freedom and a government that's accountable. So less filling doesn't taste great. I mean, you know. This is zero, not a. What, what did our producer say? Zero calories. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> it's it's actually amazing how bereft, how ideologically bankrupt this modern Republican Party is, and so they've been they they've been built on demonizing immigrants and demonizing uh, communities of color and marginalized people, and that's all they've had. It's been enough because they represent a rural, mostly rural conservative constituency that has been left behind economically and those areas are are they're horrid right i mean they're rampant I, uh drug use uh there is there's actual direct correlation be, between how much meth a county how much of a meth problem a county has and donald trump's vote and right. it's sort of this inverse this nihilistic like our world is shattered all the companies left government didn't do anything to help us we're left out here on our own our youth have left They've gone to better places, and there's that anger and resentment that the coastal elites and all these all these boogeymen and boogie women that Fox News and Rush Limbaugh created, and that's the that's their game. And it's weird because it worked for so long, and the you know conservatives mostly consume Fox News and and read conservative publications. Liberals are like NPR, right? It doesn't rile them up. You know, it's just, they like to be soothed and it's very intellectually stimulating and, and, and it, and great, wonderful. But what ends up happening is there was this asymmetry between the intensity of the conservative voter and that of the liberal voter. And even NPR likes to get both sides of the story, right? Oh, there's two sides of the story. And sometimes there just really isn't two sides to a story. There's no two sides to Donald Trump. 
He's a horrible person, the end. And now you have all these things that people like me and you, Carrie, and our activists, colleagues and friends and fellow travelers screaming about the dangers to abortion rights and by extension to same-sex marriage or uh, interracial marriage or access to contraceptives. All those rights are in danger. And people will be like, oh, they're, you know, that's like a Rush Limbaugh style. They, they, they're just being hyper, you know, it's just hyperbole. And I wrote a book, American Taliban, that actually, that actually um, sort of predicted a lot of what's happening now. And we had, we had, um, we had Joe Trippian and we had Simon Rosenberg who both, you know, who um, both pointed to that and said, like, you were right about that. Biggest critics, Carrie, were not conservatives. The biggest critics when I wrote that book and it came out was liberals. Mm-hmm. And so we didn't, as a movement, as a people, we didn't want to believe it was as bad as it, as it is. And so now we're in a situation where, where finally it, it's, it's real. This right. stuff is real. It happened. And now we're scared as a, as a movement and people are activated and they're registering to vote and they're, they're expressing the fact that this is a key vote for them. Right. I heard, I heard um, one of the guys on pot safe America say something that really resonated with me. He said, Republicans don't have an agenda anymore. They have an enemies list, which is exactly right. They totally have an enemies list. They have, they don't like, immigrants. They don't like uh, trans folks. They don't like uh, LGBTQ Americans. They really don't like women, which is kind of obvious, even though they don't seem to say that outright, they may as well. More Um, and more. They don't like, they don't like liberals. They certainly don't like the fact that women have the right to vote. That's clear. If they could just, you know, that tragic mistake, you know, back in the early 1900s, if only that hadn't happened, you know, they're just, they're still ruined that day. But, um, Anyway, the 19th Amendment, horrible, horrible. But yeah, like, I think, you know, we we are just in uncharted territory, I guess is what I would say. And, you know, at the same time, while these polls and voting trends tend to have favor uh, Democrats now uh, heading towards the midterms, right? Uh, Which is not to say that, you know, Democrats are going to have some sort of clean sweep. This is still very competitive. But at the same time, Republicans, like, they are just imploding. I mean, I just, I was writing a couple articles this week about Doug Mastriano, who's the the white nationalist GOP gubernatorial, uh, gubernatorial nominee in Pennsylvania. And he's probably, at least in the running, to be the most extreme Republican candidate uh, nationwide, or one of them. He wants a total abortion ban. Um, NBC just uncovered um, audio of him, I think, several years ago with a bill. He was saying he wanted um, anyone who had had an abortion to um, to have to, you know, go through criminal charges, um, be arrested. Go to jail. Um, Go to jail. Yeah. I mean, that's crazy stuff. Um, But, you know, he was at the he was at the insurrection, the January 6th insurrection. He. You know, it's just he's a he's a total. He, nut he's job. so anyway. Bad. Yeah, he's polling worse than Oz now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's really How? bad. And here, <laughs> here's what's fascinating: Republicans are just not. I mean, if he was competitive, they would put money into that. They are yeah. the Republican Governors Association is just not. They, they. I mean, 
Doug Ducey said something along the lines of, and he's the he's the governor of Arizona, but also heads the um, Republican Governors Association. Said something along the lines of, "We, you know, we don't fund losers." I, mean, <laughs> I don't think he used the word losers, but it was damn close. It was damn close. They don't fund losers, and they don't fund landslides. So, anyways, they're not giving him any money. Uh, they don't. Uh, the Trump isn't going to give him any money, and Trump, you know, lay. Uh, endorsed him at the very last second because he wanted to, you know, to to sort of inflate his his uh, his scorecard of of endorsees who won their primaries. And no, no one's in the and he's trying to drum up some grassroots support, but he has no grassroots army. He really doesn't have any grassroots appeal and he shunned the press. So he won't talk to mainstream media organizations. So he's given like in the last month in, in the month of September, he's given like three interviews to conservative outlets and josh shapiro his uh democratic rival in pennsylvania has given his campaign said that he had given like 41 interviews to you know different outlets across the state so he he doesn't have any money he can't do any tv ads he isn't getting money from the the republican governors association not getting from trump can't get grassroots supporters to give him money won't do um you know any er, any paid i mean sir, sir, earned media won't do any you know interviews or whatever with mainstream he held a rally over the weekend that they had touted as like you know a big insurgent candidacy rally his campaign had and like 60 people showed up and half of them were his own campaign staff so yeah. <laughs> he is just, you know, and he's like, and he's just, he's a, this is Pennsylvania, a 50, yeah. 50 battleground state, but Republicans are so beholden to that Trump extremist anti-choice wing that it's actually handicapping their ability to compete in states like that. Same thing. We're seeing the same yeah. thing in Michigan where there's an, you know, right. far right extremist Republican Tudor candidate Dixon. for governor who is fading in the polls is, is well mm-hmm. in a, you know, that's like 52, 30 something I saw last. Carrie, there's even two polls, not one, but two polls showing that the governor's race in Oklahoma is competitive. No. Oklahoma. For now, reals. I'm not saying we're going to win the governor's race in Oklahoma. If we win the governor's race in Oklahoma, we've won like 60 seats in the Senate. And, you know, we it's just a blowout. We're not, this is not a blowout election. It's competitive, though. That's two polls that have shown competitive races. And in one of them, the candidate for state public, um, the, the schools can't, the, the secretary of education, whatever they call it, she's winning. The Democrat is winning. And there's some scandal with the Republican because he's so extreme again on, on school issues. But this is, again, the issue isn't are we going to win races in Oklahoma? I would say, like, no, we're not going to win races in Oklahoma. The issue is that this is not a wave election because <laughs> you don't get results like that in polling and in the special elections that we've seen in places like rural New York 19th, Alaska, um, even the rural district in the, in, uh, the rural district in Nebraska, Alaska, uh, Nebraska, Alaska. I got those confused, I think. But <laughs> we're seeing these these um, it's I mean, this is what's amazing about this year, Carrie. We're not relying on polling and hoping, like crossing our fingers and hoping that they're actually right this cycle. We have actual elections that may look better for Democrats than the polling that we have seen. Because if we have Democrats plus four in the in the in the generic congressional ballot, like you said, 
And we have seen an average Democratic overperforming overperformance of six points in special elections. And remember, Joe Biden won by um, by three. So if you're overperforming Joe Biden by six, you're talking plus nine. So if the generic mm-hmm. ballot is at plus four, but actual election results are plus nine, you know, wow. if you extrapolate it out. Yeah. There's a disparity there. The polling is either wrong. It's it's not capturing the intensity and the depth of, of engagement by liberal voters. Maybe those... Trump voters that we assume are going to come out maybe won't come out after all. I mean, there's so many questions. And so this is what this year is about. We have an opportunity to to win. And Carrie, we're running out of time, but I just really want to touch on this argument that you made because in past years, we wanted like big victory to, to break Republicans. And it didn't happen. We barely we lost in 2016. We barely won in 2020. We don't need the big victory now to meet, potentially break the Republican Party. We just need to win. Even by one freaking vote, we win this yeah. thing. And you blow away all this history of, of off-year you know, wave elections by the opposition party. So what do you think could happen? Well, yes. So I, let me just say, you know, I don't want to overestimate what Republicans are capable of because what we've sh- what, what they've shown again and again is even when they have something like a slam dunk impeachment because the president tried to, you know, overthrow the American seat of government and hang on to power, Republicans back down from that. Opportunity. I know McCarthy said, said accountability for government officials. No. I, I read his commitment Not to America. Trump. Not named Trump. Well, I will, you know, next week we'll have to update people on polls after the McCarthy thing hits, because that could really turn. Around. <laughs> OK, so, sorry. OK, back, back from fantasy land here. So so, um, you know, I, I do think, though, that and I, I fleshed out, you know, I mentioned this at the end of our last pod and I fleshed it out a little bit in a piece that I wrote um, uh, last week, which is. I do think that after all the hype of this giant red wave and, you know, uh, McCarthy and McConnell just sort of salivating at how big the red wave was going to be, that there is this possibility that just winning, just keeping the Senate and maybe, you know, increasing a seat by a seat there or maybe two, um, but just managing to keep the house when the house was really considered to be gone entirely. There was no, you know, no one ever gave Democrats a chance for the house that just doing that would be such a blow to Republicans um, after the historical trends all favored them, the economy favored them, inflation rate, Joe Biden's approval rating at one point sort of favored them, all these signs that it was just going to be this giant wave. It could just, it could just, it has this chance of, of, of sort of driving a stake through the coalition of the um, establishment Republicans and, and the fact that they said, okay, We'll just kind of let Trump slide by on this um, insurrection thing, this tiny insurrection deal uh, where people died. And we'll try and make sure that we can keep his voters in the fold so that turn out for us. So we're going to we're going to keep the MAGA Republicans. Now, I just want to be clear. MAGA Republicans, almost every every elected official is a MAGA Republican, except for Liz Cheney. I mean, you know, like and 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 Adam Kinzinger, you like basically every Republican elected official is a MAGA Republican because the party has been so overrun 
by Trumpism and they're so controlled by Trumpism. But the establishment Republicans wanted to keep their voters who voted for sort of traditionally fiscally conservative, quote unquote, you know, hawkish Republicans and the sort of like suburban voters that used to favor Republicans um, almost every election cycle. And then they wanted to get the Trump voters, the MAGA Republican voters. Right. And and if they just get blown out of the water and I don't mean like we have to we have to have this giant wave election. If they just get if they get stopped in their tracks effectively and Democrats keep control of Congress and and manage to do, I mean, just with a, with a, another seat or two in the Senate and keeping the House we could do some major things. I think it would be so humiliating for establishment Republicans that they just might say to themselves, finally, we have to figure out how to rebuild this party. They might. They might say to themselves, we can't count on MAGA Republicans. They're not, you know, this, this, uh, they're so, Donald Trump and Trumpism and MAGA Republicanism is so gross and has such a, has united such a coalition against it that we got to cut them loose and figure out once again how to play for 50 plus one in an, in an election. And they they have forgotten. They don't have they're going to have to rebuild that muscle because they don't they don't know how to do it anymore. They let that muscle atrophy over the course of the last decade. They don't have any sense of how to play for 50 plus one anymore. There you have it. That's a, <laughs> we're going to end the show right there. Everybody, you know what you do. We, we have so much at stake. Our democracy is at stake. But as a bonus, like the cherry on top, we could potentially break the Republican Party for a couple of cycles. If, if, if they're smart, that's what they would do. Is they, would, they would figure out, they would, get, they would excise that cancer, that Trump yeah. cancer from their party, and they would start from scratch. And um, either way, you know, they don't do that. And then they have a party that cost them the House and the Senate in 2018 and 2020, it cost them uh, the presidency and incumbent presidents generally don't lose. And if it costs them the midterm election that should be theirs, that's three major losses in a row. And at that point, you got to think maybe a course correction is in order. We'll see. Thank you so much, Carrie. Thanks to Walter, Dorothy, Paul, everybody that helps us out behind the scenes and thank you the listener for joining us every week and being part of this effort to reclaim our democracy and reclaim our government from the likes of the Republican party and Donald Trump and even Democrats like Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema. We need a real majority in, in Washington DC and we definitely, definitely, definitely need to hold off the Republican hordes this November. So we got six weeks guys, six weeks to do what we need to do to win this election. Thank you so much for being part of this podcast. Thank you so much for being so engaged in our democracy. So much love and respect for you all. See you all next week. Thank you for listening. If you're enjoying the show, give us a rating wherever you get your podcast. You can always talk to us at dailycoast.com or on Twitter at Daily Coast. See you next week.